Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Since the beginning of the year, we've been interviewing all of the major candidates for Rhode Island governor here on Rhode Island Report. Today, we're talking to former Secretary of State Matt Brown. We'll talk about where he stands on the major issues, what he has to say about his opponents, and whether the Rhode Island Political Cooperative can actually win the whole state house. That's after this quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with former Secretary of State Matt Brown, a Democratic candidate for governor. Thanks for joining me, Matt. Thanks for having me. So to begin with, tell us, why are you running for governor? Well, Ed, the stakes are really high. They couldn't be higher in the times that we're living. Democracy is at stake. The planet is at stake. Reproductive freedom is at stake. And the thing that most people most want to do, they're struggling to do, which is to provide for their families. And that's at stake. And that's because the costs of the basic things that people need, like housing and health care, have gone up hundreds of percent over the last few decades, and wages have stayed essentially the same. Most people are really struggling to just provide for their families, keep a roof over their heads. And it's not going to change with the people in power. They're the ones who got us here in the first place. So this is not a campaign just to elect a new governor. I'm running along with Senator Cynthia Mendes for lieutenant governor. And we're running alongside a whole group of fantastic candidates across the state. So it's a campaign not just to elect a new governor, but to elect a whole new government so we can finally start to change things in this state for people. You know, I was down at the Crown Plaza for last week's Rhode Island Public Expenditure Council Gubernatorial Forum. And I was surprised at how little criticism was directed at Governor Dan McKee. You might have been the most aggressive, but why was everyone so nice? <laughs> Maybe just warming up, you know, it's the beginning <laughs> of the uh, election season. Well, what's your argument for replacing Governor McKee? So many reasons, Ed. The, the state, as you know, has a horrible history of corruption. Dan McKee hasn't been there that long. He's already got an FBI investigation into the fact that his administration gave a very lucrative contract to a firm with no track record in the field with ties to his allies. And it's a story we've seen way too many times in the state that has cost the people of this state a lot. So there's the corruption problem. There's the issues, some of the most important issues that we're facing that he has failed on. 
Let's look at housing. We have a housing crisis in this state. We got federal COVID emergency relief funds over a year ago that were dedicated to helping with things like housing, and he didn't move the money out, and people have continued to struggle, and people have fallen through the cracks, including having to live out on the street, and still he hasn't got the money out. Yeah, let's talk about that. You slept out in tents outside the state house to raise awareness about homelessness. Critics have said, well, that's theatrics, political theatrics. What's the main thing you would do as governor to address the issue that hasn't been done? So we need to build, and our plan calls for building 10,000 truly affordable homes that are green so that we also address the climate crisis and that are available for people with low income. So we would do that because part of the problem, Ed, as you know, is that we just don't have enough affordable homes in this state. So we need to make that investment, and that's what our plan calls for. We would cap rent increases. The annual increases in rent are just not livable for people. Rents went up 24% during the pandemic, and this government has done nothing about it, nothing. And so we would cap rent increases annually at 4% a year. Secretary of State Nellie Gobea has said her internal polls show her leading the Democratic race for governor with 30% of likely primary voters, Governor McKee at 24%. She has you at 10%, just 10%. What do you make of those numbers? Well, they're incumbents. I mean, so they've got some name ID to start. We're at the very, very beginning of this campaign season. We're getting out there. We're talking to people. Momentum is growing. We've got huge numbers of people signing up to volunteer and knock on doors. This, as you know, is going to be a grassroots campaign. And again, not a campaign just to elect a new governor, as important I think that is, but also a new lieutenant governor and a new majority in the House and a new majority in the Senate. So we can actually start doing the things for the people here we should have done a long time ago. Former CVS executive Helena Folks jumped into the race in October. Shorty leads the field with more than $1.5 million in cash on hand. You have less than 80000 How do you compete with that? What's important about this, Ed, is that Cynthia and I, unlike our opponents, don't take corporate PAC money, don't take corporate lobbyist money, don't take fossil fuel money. The fact that we don't take that corporate money is really important because part of the reason we've ended up in the problem that we're in with people struggling to meet their basic needs in this state is that for a long, long time and still today, we have leadership in this state, people in power, who as a matter of course, year after year, budget after budget, take the people's money, public money, and funnel it to large corporations and the richest 1% of people in this state. And they don't spend it on the things that people really need. Let's talk about Roe v. Wade. Rhode Island has a law that codified abortion rights in case Roe is overturned, but advocates are pushing for a bill that would provide abortion coverage to Medicaid recipients and state employees. Do you support that bill? Yeah, I do support that bill, and it needs to happen now. Reproductive freedom is under assault, and I applaud the organizers and activists, the Women's Project and other groups that pushed over many years to get Roe v. Wade codified in this state. And it was passed over the objection of the leadership in the legislature. The Democratic leadership, the Democratic Party is supposed to have, have a pro-choice platform, but the leaders in this state did not support it. And what's important now is that we pass the Equal Abortion Coverage Act. If I were governor, I'd put it in my budget and push for it with everything I have to get it passed. Governor McKee is not committed to that, and he needs to. The second thing is that we still have elected legislators in this state who opposed codifying Roe v. Wade, and they're still in office, and they need to go. 
I am committed to not endorsing and not accepting the endorsements from any legislators who opposed codifying Roe v. Wade. And I would hope that my fellow Democratic candidates for governor would make the same commitment. Were any of those Democrats going to endorse you or were you going to endorse them? Are you giving up anything by saying that? Well, I'm, I'm making a commitment. I mean, we, you know, that, that I will not endorse them under any circumstances and would not accept their endorsement. And I think all Democrats running for office for governor should make the same commitment. Has anybody taken you up on that since you mentioned that at the debate last week? No. When we had Senate President Ruggiero on the podcast, he said he opposes raising the top income tax rate for the richest 1%, in part because he fears a lot of the state's highest earners would leave Rhode Island. What's your response? That's false. That's a lie that people in power who are beholden to the wealthy have told here for years. There's a lot of data from states across the country that that's not true. In fact, it's older, wealthier people who are least likely to move because they're, they've been in a place for a long time. They've got family here. It's younger people who are more mobile. And those younger people won't come here because they can't earn a living wage, they can't afford housing, and they can't find a good school for their kids. Those are the issues we need to address so we can attract those people to come live in Rhode Island and stay here. Several of your Democratic opponents are talking about cutting taxes. You're talking about raising taxes. Why is that? Raising taxes on the richest 1%. We have people struggling in this state, Ed. And meanwhile, the people in power gave a tax cut to the richest 1% that cost the state a billion dollars. That richest 1% pays the smallest portion of their income in state and local taxes of anyone in the state. So working people, middle class people bear a bigger tax burden in this state than the rich. And that's wrong and it's corrupt and it doesn't work. It's also just bad economics. That theory that we were sold of cut taxes for the rich people and somehow that trickles down and lifts up everybody, that was wrong. I mean, at best it was wrong, at worst it was a lie. The Assembly passed the Act on Climate last year and makes the state's goals for reducing greenhouse gas emissions mandatory and enforceable. What's the next step Rhode Island must take? Well, there's so much to do, and it starts with shutting down the fossil fuel polluting industries that we have in this state, a lot of which are in the Port of Providence, just down the road from where we are now. You've got one of the largest gas storage facilities in the region there. You've got Shell Oil. You've got BP Oil. They're perpetuating climate change. They're also polluting and poisoning the neighborhood. So we got to shut down the polluting fossil fuel industries. We've got to build 10,000 green affordable homes. We've got to fully electrify our buses, we got to make the buses free so people can take them. So there are a lot of things we do. We've got a plan to do a Green New Deal in this state that does all of those things, rapidly gets us off of fossil fuels and builds out renewable, clean energy sources to make Rhode Island the first state in the country that runs 100% on renewable energy, rooftop solar, wind power and makes us the first state in the country that's net zero carbon emissions. When you and Senator Mendes announced your candidacies, you released a video where you said, we're going to win the whole effing statehouse. <laughs> so how's that going? Aren't you trailing in the polls and, and in fundraising? No, we're, I mean, you know, we're just getting started here. We've got a lot of momentum. The election season is just beginning. We're seeing just huge excitement all across the state. And I think the reason, Ed, is that the people in power have failed the people of this state. They failed them for a long time. They've ignored them. They've left them behind. They've looked out for a very small group of very rich people and very large corporations and left everybody else to struggle. 
and suffer. And people know that, and they know we need a new government. We've got an amazing group of candidates that we're running with. We've got people like Lenny Seo, a nurse who served during the whole pandemic, who's committed to reforming our healthcare system so it, it is dedicated to caring for people and not making profit, challenging the Senate president. We've got Clara Hardy, a social worker whose whole life has been caring for people, challenging Rep Corvese. Yeah, when you made the announcement, you said you would be running with 50 other Rhode Island political cooperative candidates. I count 24 on the website this morning, so almost halfway. Will you reach 50 candidates by the time that declaration period comes at the end of June? Well, we'll be making more announcements soon. As you know, we made an announcement just last week of five new candidates. Five more, Fa- right? Yeah, fantastic group. Um, All for the Assembly, right? House and Senate. Yep. And these are people who have been doing the work of fighting for their communities for a long, long time. And they're the kind of people who are going to go up there and fight, you know, keep fighting for our state when they get elected. Some of your early candidates this season had fairly conservative social media posts. What did that say about the group's vetting process? Has that changed? Well, we now have a process where all of the candidates in the co-op vote on any new incoming candidate. We have a very thorough process. You know, we're looking for candidates who are committed to a a shared platform to really serve the people of this state. We're looking for candidates who are going to fight for it. And we're looking for candidates who want to be part of building something larger than themselves because we are building a larger movement in this state. And so we're looking for people who want to contribute to that as well. When we had Jennifer Rock, one of the co-op founders on the podcast, she mentioned that both you and her husband are huge Beatles fans. What Beatles song best describes your candidacy? What's <laughs> um, what Beatles song best describes my candidacy? What's your Beatles theme song? Boy, that is a fantastic question. And it deserves a fantastic answer. <laughs> I mean, I I will say that the song that you play loud, you know, and you get you get gets the blood going for the campaign is "Hey Jude" for sure. Matt Brown, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Ed. Want to know more about the race for governor? Our Globe Rhode Island columnist Dan McGowan listened in on the most recent debate and gave the candidates letter grades on their performances. Here are some other stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. What do House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Shaggy have in common? They're both getting honorary degrees from Brown University. My colleague Alexa Gigas has the details. Alexa also has a Q&A with Britt Riley, the co-founder of The Haven Collection, the first licensed daycare in the United States that offers co-working space, a fitness club, and personalized memberships. For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Amy Padula. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. 
Watch them all anytime and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org slash passport. That's ripbs.org slash passport.